0: Hello, and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show, where we niche down to a single topic, think about a question, and unpack the rest. This week, we're asking, after a multi-year fundraising boom, what is the current health of the fintech startup market? And as always, I am joined by the wonderful Alex Wilhelm to get through that big one. So Alex, hello. It is so good to be back. How are you?
1: I'm feeling great for a number of reasons. First of which is that you're back. Thank God I have missed you. (laughs) And uh, the show has missed you. I presume everyone out there with us today has missed you. I also am wearing my dress tank top for this particular recording. So that's how much I care.
0: Okay, yes. I was waiting for us to start recording for me to compliment it. It is badass. And where is it from? Because I want to get one for my people. <laughs> oh, well,
1: I-, I was on I was on Twitter and someone in my life was gently mocking me for wearing very casual male attire. And I said, well, you know, fine. Where's the, where's the dress tank top? And yeah. then someone sent me this Amazon link to a button up tank top. And then it actually, has, I, I believe it's called a, a, a narrow collar on it. Yeah, and I so love off.
0: these collars. Like, I really I feel, like these collars.
1: Yes, I feel, uh, I feel both worldly and uh, debonair. So, yeah, <laughs> feeling good. I mean, it's
0: Perfect, And I also missed you. I'm so happy to be back. I was able to tune out of most news Mm. over the past two weeks, but there were two items that broke through and it's actually fitting for this episode. (laughs) One was that Apple is getting into the buy now, pay later space. And the other was Brex is scaling back who it serves. And so it's actually fitting that I rolled up on this wonderful Tuesday when we're recording. And those are the only two things I knew before jumping into today's episode, where we're actually going to be looking into Klarna's valuation cut and the broader fintech world.
1: Yes. Well, do you want to start there with kind of uh, an overview of recent major fintech news to kind of set some ground?
0: Yes, please. Because when I left, I think we were still in kind of the heart of these massive fintech and general tech layoffs. But since it seemed like there's been a little bit of like a pushback, like there has been some growth. You talked about it in Equity Tuesday this week. And so, yeah, I would love to hear your first, I guess, like, what did I miss over the past two weeks in fintech roll up?
1: Well, we're not going to get to even a fraction of the total news because there's still so much going on in the fintech space, which is a data point to our broader question. But there is a number of things that are worth talking about. And I was going to start actually with the Apple Buy Now Pay Later news Perfect. because each and every Apple event when they have a, a quote keynote, but now it's more like a one hour slideshow with some weird walking around people in it. It's not it's not the same. I don't no. know why we tune into these things anymore. I kind of just watch the recaps now because they're not, there's no showmanship. There's no pizzazz. It's just, here's a video of Apple's campus. Did you know they spent a lot of money on it? Anyways. <laughs> I bring all this up because every time they do this, I am assigned to write the stock market reaction post, which is kind of a joke because there never is a stock market reaction. But this time around, Apple announced buy now, pay later. Okay. And I went... Yes, Apple announced something that's going to impact someone else's stock price. And, you know, true to form, we did watch the value of a firm gyrate in in the wake of this. Apple, as you know, is becoming more and more of a bank over time. It has a credit card. It has Apple Pay, which you can store money on. Now it's got BNPL. Seems to be kind of building out its fintech suite. I thought that was big news. And then, of course, there was the other enormous thing, which was Brex, which you alluded to earlier.
0: Yeah, I mean, to take a second on Apple, I think there's always been that question of like, what happens if Apple builds this to fintech startups? And the fact that it actually went ahead and brought on BNPL as one of its core new offerings. To me, like even just hearing the first reaction on Twitter, I was like, people are taking this really seriously. And it's, it's been a few days, if not weeks, since it's happened. And mm-hmm. do you feel like it's kind of still having that effect where people are like, oh my god, this is a big deal? Or was that just kind of fin twit?
1: The impact of this is going to be slow coming, or at least slow to show itself. Because once it rolls out to consumers, then we can see how it impacts you know, how they behave and what they use to purchase and so forth. So we're still a ways out from getting real in-market data. And the venture capital impact, the startup impact, if you Will will take some time to, to bear out because startups will have to at yeah. once see the impact of increased competition. We need to weigh venture capital reaction in future funding rounds. So there's a lot of data we don't have yet. My read is this: Apple announces BNPL, big deal. If Google had done it, we wouldn't care because Google is bad at consumer. Apple's good at consumer. There you go. That's yeah, the difference. Yeah. So like, okay, yeah, like Microsoft That's an important BNPL. difference.
0: yeah, sure.
1: Who, who cares? Oracle BNPL, TikTok BNPL. Okay, that would actually do really well. Like, <laughs> <The> crap. <laughs>
0: The manifesting begins. No, I feel you. I think the stamp of approval on that kind of space makes a lot of sense. And well, I mean, in some ways, a lot of startups have been gearing up for there to be a massive competitor because there has been for so long. So I want to talk about Brex later, but right now, kind of staying on this topic of buy now, pay later, having big companies, having big winners. For so long, Klarna was Europe's most valuable tech company, had been profitable for a long time, but recently, reports Bloomberg, the valuation was cut a ton. So take us through kind of your most recent piece, which is kind of where today's episode is going. To be rooted.
1: Yeah, so one thing we're trying to do is figure out the price of everything. The venture market this year is incredibly different. The stock market is incredibly different. The value of assets it has changed dramatically and this has you know, myriad impacts across the world of startups. So we're constantly trying to figure out where do we sit today and what's the kind of lay of the land. Klarna yeah. is a company that has it reached a level of notoriety both in the consumer mindset and also in terms of its financial worth on paper that it became a quote name. It became something like Stripe. It became one of those companies that that everyone should know about, have an opinion on and so forth. Last summer, raised a bunch of money, got repriced at around $45 billion, which is a tectonic sum of money. $45 billion is a lot of money. You could build an army with $45 billion. You know what I mean? And even
0: in a market like last year, where it was like already absurd, that stood out so much. And I agree, I think it's one of those companies as a US-based tech reporter and someone who recently started covering FinTech, Klarna felt like the name to know, along with Stripe, along with Plaid.
1: Yeah, I, I would say much like how Shopify really helped point out that you can build simply enormous companies in Canada. I think that Kleiner really showed that Sweden and the other kind of broader Nordic region can have the same effect. Spotify, of course, kind of paved a lot of that path forward already, but it, it it was another data point that really showed success. And then the market changed, valuations fell, fintech especially got hit, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the company floated a $50 billion valuation. That didn't work out. Then it was reported that they were looking at a $30 billion valuation, and then that didn't appear to work out. And now the latest reporting from the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg, I think, says that now they're targeting a roughly $15 billion valuation, or about a third of where they were. Now, to be clear, Natasha, I have not built a $15 billion company. (laughs) So it's, it's not a number that's in itself bad. It's only bad in contrast to the preceding number, which was three times as big.
0: 100%. And it's actually kind of the reason I want to get a little hung up on the semantics of looking for money at certain valuations. To me, if I am being overly simplistic and I know it, but it's like I would try to not go for very public or I guess like loud valuation cuts, I guess as long as I can versus on Klarna's end, it looks like they've done this very public shop around. And I'm sure they're not emailing Bloomberg or TechCrunch, but I am kind of like, it's a lot for us to have this money data to compare them to.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a size impact here. Like the more money you disperse, the more noise it makes. And the more noise it makes, the higher the chance that someone hears it, right? And then reports about it. So like in the case of like raising money from SoftBank, we're going to see those numbers eventually in their reporting of their own results. And so you can't really hide once you raise Basically, if it's over nine figures, you should really just presume that everyone's going to find out all the details about it at some point in time sooner rather than later. And Klarna, I think, was a bit more open because they were crushing it for so long. It's not hard to stand up and kind of be like, you know, yeah, we're killing it. And then when you go out there and you need to find money and you're not finding the price you want, you probably talk to more people to make sure that you're getting the right information. More people, more noise, more noise, more reporting. Here we are.
0: Yeah. I mean, in some ways I was asking myself when prepping for this episode, should we have predicted that Klarna was going to have two valuation haircuts in a successive manner? And I immediately thought of Marianne's recent piece, maybe just published a few weeks ago where Klarna was teaming up with Marquetta to launch this new card. And it was going to be kind of this growth and offense move as an incumbent to kind of keep up up with the times. Yes. And so I was like, okay, so they made this like aggressive move and now they're raising funding. It all makes a ton of sense. I think the cut to me was predictable just because of our market, but it was this like, were you just kind of announcing that card, this new card, because you're raising money?
1: Well, I think it's never about to make a bunch of noise when you want to attract outside investment. And if you want to yeah. especially have a better growth story, right? You can tell your investors, look, Hey, you know, here's the stuff that we currently have going. We're going to grow X amount. And we just launched a new card product. And that's going to add, you know, easily hundred bips of growth to where I blah, 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 blah. And then you can kind of make the pitch sell the thing. And then raise the money. When it comes to Klarna, I tried to figure out if $30 billion was the right number. And so what we did oh, was we, we looked at a firm. This was back in, I think, late May, if you will. A firm is a public American BNPL company, well known. Um, I actually interviewed Max Lovechin of PayPal and Affirm fame back in like 2015 at Disrupt. So, like, an age oh, wow. ago, back when yeah. Affirm was this teeny little company. And Affirm has been whacked, Natasha, and it has oh, been yeah. downsized and it has lost somewhere between 80 and 90% of its value. So, I think that when we watched that happen, We had to know. And I think that also when they just reduced the valuation by 15 billion, a multiple of what a firm is worth, I think it just, it was a good try. But I'm not shocked that we ended up here. And I think that the only people that were really wrong were the people who decided that Clarna was worth 45 billion. Which it wasn't,
0: right? It definitely feels like a correction. That in some ways it's, uh, it's. I don't want to say this, but it feels helpful to see companies being treated the same in the markets because you know that it's not. I guess it's like final clarity, and you can kind of prove that it's not just one company or not just one business model. This is probably pretty immediately trickling down to late stage fintechs in the BNPL space, and maybe not seed stage yet. But I think even a year ago, even though we had these big competitors, BNPL startups were raising and growing, and there was really no counter argument to it. And so now I think. Think that tension is really healthy for the startup ecosystem.
1: I think we're seeing, I love the idea of being treated equally because when we look back at the news recently, we've seen Fidelity change the value of its Stripe stake. You know, if we're talking about Stripe, one of the more yeah. respected companies on the private markets, one of the most valuable companies in the private markets. And here we are seeing them treated like another stock. Wealthsimple had layoffs recently, for example. We used to talk a lot about the robo-advising space and so forth, but I mean, like, it does seem to be kind of a a pan-fintech situation in which everyone's dealing with a similar set of issues, which is that their valuations are coming down, they need to preserve cash, they're doing some layoffs, they're trimming, they're trying to get their ship in shape, if you will.
0: Yeah, and fintech kind of did this perfect dance during the pandemic where it was set to benefit a lot from customers moving online and changing their habits, but also set to benefit from VC dollars because it was an understandable business model but still kind of could be super big and dreamy and loud and so now it feels like as you kind of well described it's across the board just kind of feeling corrected
1: super big and dreamy and loud is exactly how i like my music so that's that's great <laughs>
0: Um, I mean, actually, it's so weird. It's a little bit like, and bringing in another point, which was Brex's scaling back who it's serving. I just like, all I'm feeling right now is like FinTech isn't being dramatic necessarily. It's not like these one-offs. It's just kind of having, it's like moment of growth. It sounds like. Uh, Growth in like a maturing sense, not in like a new customer sense, (laughs) clearly.
1: When you you say your friend has really grown, you don't mean that they have gotten taller. What you mean is that they are less of a head. Think about that in startup terms. With some slightly nicer language, that's what I think she's saying. Uh, (laughs) But I think the tone shift though is is so interesting because if you look at data of the valuation of fintech companies in general, it's easy to see how individual companies were mispriced in a broader boom. And so according to Mm. Andreessen Horowitz's future.com, which we have talked about on the show once or twice, they had a great little piece digging into what to do in the downturn and they had this chart that showed uh, different valuation marks for different sectors And fintech companies had the highest forward revenue multiples amongst public software companies out there. They reached something like 25x in uh, October, November of last year, which has come all the way down to, according to this, 4x or something like that. That is the insane compression that we have seen. And I think that it's kind of a question of growth durability. You know, everyone thought that COVID had changed things forever. And it seemed to, instead of that, instead of, it just kind of pulled forward some future demand into the present day versus increasing the overall growth rate forever. So we are seeing, what do you call the decline and fall of misplaced optimism? Aside from my early (laughs) 20s dating life.
0: No, I mean, honestly, that it's actually kind of like the weird silver lining of a downturn lasting as long as it has is like, we get to be more nuanced about what's changing. And it's not just kind of this like mass layoff. It has not
1: been that long.
0: It what? feels like it's been forever. It's like, We've had a tech layoff column for like now, I think almost two
1: months, which is crazy. Do you remember 2008? How long yeah. that went on? It was like six years okay, of Okay, true. True, true, true. Like true, it's true. been six months. Okay, here's, here's a thesis that I have. Business has cycles. Startups have faster cycles than the business cycle in my view technology changes, venture capital cycles, and so forth. Even more compressed inside of that is the crypto world. And even more compressed inside of that is the NFT world. And so we've all become so accustomed to these fast booms and busts that we've forgotten that the business cycle is long.
0: Yes. Thank you for saying that. Because I mean, I I wasn't a reporter in 2008. Yeah, me and so I think I missed a little bit of like what it's like to report on something that's more predictable. But I think we've talked about this a bit internally too, where it's like, this was actually inevitable and we knew this was going to happen. And in some ways, everything's going to According to plan, even though it doesn't feel that yes. way. And so I'm sure that doesn't feel good for CEOs and for people losing their jobs, but for something like a valuation drop, not the end of the world. I don't know. It, it, to me, I think you started off the show like this. I've not built a $15 billion company, but to be trying to raise at a $15 billion valuation is not an ending in any sort.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, Clara has to go public and I'm really excited about that. But what's funny about this to me is you have recently moved yourself more into the fintech reporting world and you have done so not at a time in which everyone was probably bursting to talk to you and brag, but instead at a time in which no one wants to talk to you and they all want to hide. And so I'm kind of curious, how do you feel yes. about the timing of your swap over from what you were covering before? I mean, going all the way back to like ed tech at the start of the pandemic to fintech now, yeah. what's the vibe out there?
0: in some ways it feels like the perfect time to start reporting on fintech because a lot of people are kind of over it like they've stopped drinking their own Kool-Aid or the Kool-Aid of their employers so it's helpful to kind of have some clearer signals on what's happening but the fintech world has gotten so big and so competitive now that I think people are starting to disagree more openly I I tweeted about this a a couple weeks ago where I was like it's not very useful for you to tell me that this company was doomed since it started after it publicly shuts down and I think that really represents how I feel about people who are tipping me on fintech right now like a lot of people are talking about like, we knew this was going to happen. We knew that this person was going to compete with this person. And I'm like, thanks. But I mean, that's just me being a little grumpy. I I am happy that I'm hearing those things. And I am happy to be having, I guess, a little bit more of like a realistic beat because even ed tech, when I was covering it, it was a a lot of my job in in some way, I can say this now because I'm not spending all my time covering it, was feeling a little bit like a cheerleader. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, you raised money. Keep going. Now I'm kind of like, you raised money. Now what are you doing with it?
1: Yeah. Now show me the results. And I think that there's probably going to be a little bit of whiplash amongst some founders who have only been building at a time in which they were treated like essentially heroes. And yeah. now they're going to be treated like business owners. And it's going to yes. be, a, it's going to be a change. Not that I'm trying to, you know, I, I have no joy in pain here. I'm just thinking about how things are changing. Now, Natasha, because I have you here, and we're talking FinTech. I'm going to ask a question about markets because yes. one thing we've seen is that in startup geographies where things accelerate, for example, Latin America in the last five, seven years, I would say Africa as a, as a continent or you know startup geography, if you will, in the last couple of years, we do tend to see the first couple of generations of startups in sectors or areas that raise a lot more money all of a sudden go into fintech. And so that means that a lot of emerging markets have been pouring money and attention and energy into fintech because often it's a very needed thing. So what happens to those companies that are in in mid-cycle right now who just got blindsided by a global change in opinion about what they're building?
0: Oh man, I hope as an optimist that them being held to a higher standard is going to make them the companies that they wanted to be when they first started. A lot of the companies in these emerging markets have a responsibility that's very different than if they were a company that started in the United States or started in a more mature economy. Maybe they will have layoffs. Maybe they will have valuation drops. Maybe they'll struggle to raise funding for a few years and kind of disappear. But I'm hoping that the clearly the need for fintech isn't going anywhere. It's just kind of like the ambition and how cash burning it can be has has kind of changed. But I don't see like the, the core like value proper mission being questioned anymore, especially with something like buy now, pay later. I'm like, this does not seem like something that people are kind of like neutral on clearly with how much money is going in. But with how many companies were started around the world to do it, I very much see this being like a that one of the stories that we write like 10 years from now. And this is like the lead in that story of like how they changed during the turn down. Is that too optimistic? What do you think?
1: No, I'm I'm never going to dissuade optimism during a downturn because it's good to have that as a rejoinder to the the common narrative. I'll follow suit and I'll I'll make a, a bullish pitch here for emerging market fintech startups. And I'll just say that in a mature market like the US, you have a lot of companies that raise a lot of money that are doing similar things. And you've alluded to this in your comments today. In emerging markets, you might have the same thing, but also there's just much less captured market share. I think. And so there's a lot more space to build and grow into. And so there might be a higher ceiling. So some of these companies, sure, they might not get the next round of the valuation they want, but they still have an enormous problem to solve and one that isn't currently being solved for most folks in that particular country or continent. And so hell yes, they should be kind of okay. Now, will every BNPL provider make it out? Absolutely not because there were way too many of them and Klarna kind of just peed in their oatmeal. But like, you know what? Like (laughs) this is fine for a lot of companies out there. Yeah,
0: and it's tough because there's so many humans involved here. But like, I do think that a lot of these international companies or companies in emerging markets probably weren't as overpriced as a Klarna to begin with. Klarna was always the darling of fintech. So I think it specifically had a lot of correction to go. And the way we talk about a lot of like these big companies having their moments of corrections, we've always talked about on the podcast, like that doesn't mean every single person is going to face like this percent of a decrease, but more so add a reality check.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's absolutely right. And I think we'll see more specialization. You know, I mean, one thing that I think is going to happen in the BNPL space is the mass market consumer BNPL providers are going to become a handful. Right, most are going to be consolidated into the hands of a Block, an Apple, a Klarna, whatever. But there's a lot of stuff out there that might not have that same effect. And so that's kind of where I'm the most curious. And I want to know what's going to come next that we get excited about in fintech because moving money around is a big deal in various forms. I don't want to touch on crypto, but I will say crypto is a subset of FinTech. So when we talk about FinTech, we are also including that in the conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And and it goes back to kind of what you were asking me a few minutes ago, which is like, it feels like a really good time to be paying attention to the sector that has so many people on both ends, like growing and, and slowing. So I'm kind of very happy and relieved to be in the middle right now. And I guess like, it's been really exciting in my inbox recently of people actually leading with what's new and interesting and if you're a bnpl pre-seed startup that just raised a ton of money like i'm pretty surprised at that so maybe you weren't newsworthy (laughs) a few months ago but now you are newsworthy and that always is like kind of an interesting angle to think about
1: i also remember now why i brought up specialization about two minutes ago yes please I brought up specialization because we are seeing companies do more of that. And one of those companies was Brex because they just announced they're going to stop supporting a lot of smaller companies that lack, I think they say, quote, professional backing or venture backing, one of the two. Yeah. And talk about a surprise. I remember talking to I think it was Enrique at Brex about them rolling out more billboards because they were going to go out there and really get the S and B world. And they're pivoting more towards the enterprise. And I think that, frankly, this is not going to be the last company that has a lot of value inside of itself, a lot of smart people, and a lot of raised capital that has to either narrow or otherwise constrain their focus to ensure they're putting their resources behind a few enough number of arrows.
0: Yes, I mean that is my takeaway. More startups are going to be looking like businesses. It's a weird time because a lot of those ones were in the growth stage that are going to be doing this anyways, but. Also, it's during the beginning of a downturn, not a long one, apparently. And so I'm kind of like in this moment where it's like everything can be attributed to everything. But we'll keep covering the micro with the macro. Alex, thank you for talking this through with me. It is so good to be back and to be clarifying things with you live.
1: Yeah, no, no. I'm so glad you're back. It's, it was a long two weeks without you, frankly. But also, just as a last question, and I'm just curious about this in the world of fintech, there's a lot to cover. And Marianne obviously covers uh, kind of the construction tech side of things and often uh, stuff that kind of plug into fintech. Where is your focus going to be inside of financial technology in general?
0: I'm really interested right now in like social fintech and economic empowerment of individuals. So mm. I think that there was so much like bullishness about everyone can be an angel investor, everyone can be this and anything they ever wanted to be in fintech over the past two years. So I'm, really happy that we are now seeing that tested. And then also seeing how newer companies are kind of breaking into trying to get more people wealthy is just something I'll always care about. So that's what I'm focused on. Well, that's on. not
1: a, it's not a small niche at all. That's that's <laughs> a lot of stuff. I well, know. Good. I'm glad we're going to have that on the show. Yes. I'm really excited you're going to have your attention there. So everyone look forward to even more fintech coverage as time goes along, and it won't always be this depressing. Instead, sometimes it might even be relatively fun.
0: <laughs> Equity, the pessimistic and yet fun show about fintech. It feels like we're really becoming a fintech for- Focus show, which I mean, I never could have predicted when I joined two years ago.
1: <laughs> I mean, just for people who've been longtime equity listeners, this happens in waves for a period of time. We were this week in Uber, you that's know, true. back when Uber was doing something every single week, and then we couldn't not talk about Elon for a while. And news comes in waves. FinTech is making noise now, and so that's why we're keeping our eyes on it because it is one of the points of change.
0: Yes, true that, Alex. Thank you so much for your time. Everyone else, you can hear us on Friday. Bye.